0: All right. So tonight uh, we're in uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter six. Uh, we kind of themed this around the latter part of this chapter about the unequally yoked, and 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 uh, and he make a point to let us know that who we're teamed up with does matter to God. And um, but before he get there, you know, Paul had you know demonstrated his willingness to suffer uh, all kinds of hardship for the gospel. He's going to identify some of those things tonight. So instead of celebrating a lot of his accomplishments in this particular chapter, he kind of let us see some of the things that he endured uh, for the cause of the gospel. And even though he endured those things, the thing that looked like frustrated him is that uh, him being an apostle, him being the one who started this church, that in the midst of all the things he went through, there were still those who were out there trying to discredit his, his ministry. And so he spent some time tonight trying to, you know, uh, explain what he went through, why he went through it, and to, to, to assure them that he was an authentic uh, an apostle of the Lord. And so what he, we see here tonight, he will, you know, identify some of his difficulties, and then he'll kind of close by uh, trying to encourage us to be mindful of how we and who we associate with. You know, he wasn't, he's not going to make a point that we need to, separate ourselves from the world because we're in the world, but not of the world. But he is going to make it clear to us that as children of God, there's certain things we can't be in that will cause whatever that is to have more influence on us than God. And so, so that's the point he's going to be trying to make when he's talking about being unequally yoked uh, in the latter part of this. So look at this. He says now in chapter one, he says as God's partners, now, when you hear partner, what, do, what comes to your mind? What is a, a partner? If you're in a partner, or you a partner of somebody? Who, what does that normally mean, if you're in a, a partner? You know, we hear the term partnerships and things of that nature. And what, what comes to mind? And your answer is your answer. Major, get a mic and make sure you got one.
1: Normally that, you, that you're working together with someone.
0: Okay. Yeah, working together with someone and, and uh, anybody else, anybody else, when you think about partnerships, you know, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a broad sense, you know, a marriage is a partnership, you know? uh that the partnership between a man and a woman and, and they agree that they're gonna have certain things in common, you know? And, and being a part of a church body is a partnership because we, we share a common interest, a, a, a common uh, goals and things of that nature. So he says that now he sees himself as a partner with God. That God's partner, meaning that we are in relationship with God and therefore we have a common interest with God. And so we see ourselves in that relationship and we want to make sure that we don't do anything that will hinder or tarnish that relationship. So he look what he says. As God's partners, talking about him and his associates, we beg you not to accept this we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. So it looks like, Major, that he was preaching to a group that some of them may not all receive the gospel the same way. He, He said, now, I'm begging you that don't accept this marvelous gift, the gift of the gospel, the gift of salvation, and then realize that God has been that kind to you and then ignore it. And ignore means, you know, just sometimes people, you know, don't disregard it. There are people that come to church on Sunday. They hear something that God is speaking to them. And all of a sudden, when they get out of church, they just ignore what they heard. And so Paul is saying, whenever, you, whenever God's word is ministering to you, whenever the word of God is speaking to you, and, and you realize that he's connecting with your spirit, he said, man, don't ignore that. Take that as God is trying to get something in you so that your life can be better. But apparently there were some people that he was talking to was ignoring the word. And and, 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 and and you don't know who it is when you speak it, but you gotta re- believe that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to that person's heart, and you hope they will take and do something with the word they got. So he says now he get, get frustrated when they take this kindness and ignore it. Look what he says. But God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. So he, he quotes an Old Testament scripture there that when God was going to deliver his people from their captivity and bondage, and he says now, all of us were in a state where it was the right time, and we accepted God, accepted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You know, and, and the thing is, is that when we come to church, you've never accepted him. Then anytime time you walk in the church or, or hear someone present the gospel, it's the right time. But, but a lot of time, people won't accept the gospel at the right time. God is always putting it out there, but it's up to us to accept it. So a lot of time, the reason people don't accept certain things is because they measure time as if they got Years and years and years ahead of they work from the assumption that I'm going to get to be 50. I'm going to, so, but if you was to ask somebody right now, you know, how long will it be before you accept the gospel? Five years? Six years? Or another year? Most people won't even try to answer that because they don't want to take for granted that they may be saying something that may not come to pass. And so, if you understand that mindset, then it ought to be that, okay, if I'm not sure what tomorrow holds, why would I pass up an opportunity today to get something that God has given me freely? And so, and so that's why he says, indeed, it's the right time. If you ain't saved, any time you hear the gospel, it's the right time. And he said, now today is the day of salvation that word salvation there you know we tied to you know uh, as far as eternity and going to heaven but the word salvation means that today is the day you can be rescued delivered or set free it has multiple meanings here we're talking about that salvation experience as far as accepting jesus christ as your lord but every now and then god has to just help us do something. he have to rescue us out of some stuff we get we can be saved and need some salvation Amen. When, In the broader sense of the word, we can be saved and need to be rescued. We don't got ourselves in a predicament that we need some help getting out of. So we need some rescue. Oh, we don't got something that come in our life and we need to be delivered. And so therefore, when that day or that time comes when God want to move in your life and do that, then we got to be willing to accept his salvation. And he says, now look, because it's the right time, then now what he want to do is he going to start going through some of his hardships. Now in verse three, you know he, he, he talks about his example, verse three through five, look at this. He says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. In other words, he says, man, as a minister or you as a believer, we ought to be doing our best. Now, we all make mistakes. We all errors. So God understand that. That's why he tells us if we confess he, he's just and, and, and good and just and kind to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God will forgive us. But at the same time, we shouldn't be living in a, in a constant state where we need to go back to God over and over and over. So he's saying now, so we live in such a way that no one will stumble. And most of the time we read this, we we apply this just to ministers of the gospel. But this is any Christian ought to take this to heart. Not just a minister. If you're saved and you're a child of God and you represent God, you ought to be trying to live in a way so that whoever's watching your life, whoever's looking at you, they can look at you and then they won't stumble because they've been watching you. Now we don't want people to watch us, they, we want them to imitate us as we imitate Christ. So the thing we gotta tell folks, as long as Brother Herb Pastor Bowden is doing what the Lord is doing, imitate that. But when you see them guys about to stumble, don't you stumble too. But some people, it's kinda like, you know, I remember um, a, a tragedy when, uh, I don't know, some of y'all was in the Air Force, so I don't know if y'all remember when the Thunderbirds crashed out of Nellis, you know. And and, and I always would ask myself, how in the world could all them guys crash at the same time? And and, and the thing was, they say the way they fly, they follow the lead. Don't even be paying no attention to anything else, but wherever the lead go, that's where they're going. So they assume that the guy who's leading is going to do the right thing. So if he don't pull up, they don't pull up. And all of them plowed right into the ground, all because they were following the lead. And so when he said, now look, for us, we don't need to plow into the ground because Major them crashed, because Pastor Boatman crashed, because Fred done crashed. Don't, you, don't y'all follow me to the point that y'all going to crash because I crashed. You got to be able to pull up and know when the example that you're following is not doing what God's calling to do. So now we say, he said, now... So he, he said we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. That us is plural. Does so that mean all of you are a part of that? We live in a way and we don't want nobody to see glory. We don't want nobody to see you living in a way that they stumble and fall. Because believe it or not, people are watching you. Amen. Just the way it is. People watching you. They know you come to church. They know you say you're saved. They are watching you. And so, therefore, there are certain things that, you know, they can't be your judge, but we ought to be trying to live in a way so that we're not doing things that totally go against God's word. And people see us in that light. And then now what that does is tarnish our credibility with them. And so we have to strive. And so when we err, the bottom line is we got to get it right with God. We can't do things that we know that will go against God's word and then don't repent for it. Got to tell him we're sorry. He knows we're going to make mistakes. But we got to say we're sorry because he said, now look, because we don't want nobody to stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. See, people are always looking for fault. They, they do. Some people just, I mean, and they can catch them. I mean, they look for, if you look for something hard enough, you're going you're gonna to find it. If you look at a person long enough, you're going to find a flaw in them. And that's why sometimes it, 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 it is it is good not to become too familiar with everybody because what happens is it's when you get familiar with people, people see a side of you that everybody else don't see. And so, therefore, what we have to do is that it's okay, but we have to try to live in a way so that no one will find fault with our ministry. Our ministry means striving, the kingdom, the body of Christ, the whole, the whole shebang. So when Major go out there, he got to know that, hey, he's not just playing golf on the golf course just to be playing by himself. No, he represents Jesus out there. And so therefore, his conduct out there ought to be in such a way that, hey, nobody will stumble because of Major. See, And, And so therefore, when we understand that, then we know now that this thing with our ministry is important. So in a smaller sense, not the big picture, then we narrowed it down to striving. Because you are a member of striving, you represent the body. You represent the ministry. Amen? Amen, when you put your T-shirt on, you you representing. Even if the person don't go to church here, when they see striving on that shirt, they think that that person go to strive. And so therefore, if you're out there and I'm out there doing something with the striving shirt on that don't look like what striving represents, then people are going to take note of that. And, And so what we got to do is be mindful is that when we leave here, we still represent the Lord and we represent the ministry. And we got to try to live in a way so that we don't do anything where people can find fault with our ministry. Uh-huh. Why do people do that? You know, the very little mistake
1: you make or the very first thing that you do wrong, uh, they
2: condemn you. Why? I mean, why do people do that?
0: I, I think it's, for some people, it's just by nature. It's, it's easier to criticize and critique in a negative way than it is to do the positive side. People just are geared to, to look at negative things. Negative things sell. Negative things go faster than the positive thing. That's why, you know, when you look at the news, very seldom do they leave with a good story. Most of the time, news stories are going to be the bad story first because they know people will be attracted to that negative story. And so what we have to understand is that even though we know that we're going to err, what we got to do is when we do make a mistake, we have to own up to it. You know, we just got to own up to it. And, and, and let people know that, hey, we, we serve the Lord, but at the same time, Paul said, look, man, even with him, he said, man, in, inside of me is a no good thing. <laughs> I mean, every time I try to do good, but there's, a no good, no, there's no good thing inside of me. And that's why he could say that, hey, look, every time I turn to do good, evil is right there with me. So, so the things that would try to come in our lives to trip us up. It's going to always be present with us. But,
3: friend. If you see us, they judge us by Jesus' standards, not by Paul's standards. So they don't, they're not looking at what Paul said. Everybody, whether you're Christian or not, know what Jesus stood for us. And since we represent him, they expect us to live the same type of life.
0: Amen. And, and that's why Paul would tell his followers, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So when I stray off of that, you keep following Christ because you can't go wrong with him. But because you don't see him, it's easier for you to imitate somebody that you see. So he said, now, as long as I'm doing what Christ will do, follow that example. But when I start veering off, you got to know you ain't going to crash and burn. And so that's why it's important for I, I tell people, don't let church become a, 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 a cult of popularity. Where we, where we cling to popular people and then, therefore, when that popular person goes awry, then you follow them right along with it, follow right along with them. So that's why when we come, we got to realize we are a body together and we all impact one another, but at the same time, we got an individual race that we got to run. Major got to run his race. Brother Purdue, you got to run your race, and you got to run that race trying your best to imitate Jesus or someone that you see who's imitating him. You follow that example until they get off the mark, and then you keep following Jesus. But God realized, and Paul realized, that, that hey, the, 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 the chances or the likelihood of you living the rest of your life without error is slim. Some, you're going to do something. But what happens is, is that that's why in John he told us if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So God knows we make a mistake. And that is not the issue because we know even the disciples made a mistake. And, and so the thing is is that but we just got to be mindful that Man, when the world is watching us, when the world is looking at us, we got to try to do our best to, to imitate Jesus in a way that don't uh, cause someone to stumble. When they grow up and mature, you know, you would hope that people can break away from looking at a person and say, because Major stumbled, well, I ain't going to church no more. It didn't work for Major, so I'm not going. Well, then you probably was coming to the church for the wrong reason. You, you, was, you had made major your God. And because when he let you down, then now you don't want to continue to serve God. So therefore, we are part of a body, but we serve God. And we serve God as a body and as individuals. And so therefore, we got to realize that we all have something to do in ministry. If you're part of a church, you have something to do in that ministry. You're part of it. And even though he was talking about him and his companions here, he said, now look, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. The reason he keeps going back to this is because those of you who have been following us know that there were the accusers out there who was accusing Paul and them of being false prophets, accusing them of being hucksters, coming in just preaching and telling folk what they want to hear just to get their money out of them or just to take advantage of them. And so therefore, he keeps coming back to let, look, in everything we do, we show that we are ministers, true ministers of God. Not false ministers, but true ministers of God. We, now look, he goes through, we have patiently endured troubles. Somebody say troubles. You know, every now and then trouble come. He said, so, so we patiently endure. We, we had to patiently put up with troubles when trouble come. And you got to endure trouble. That's why the Bible said, you got to endure troubles and hardship like a good soldier. Because of the follower of Christ, every now and then troubles gonna come. Then he says, and hardship. You know life difficulties. You know you just you know sometimes you can get a hardship discharge from the military. You know, some situation, some circumstance that came up and they say we're gonna give some people can get hardship assignments. You get an assignment to be somewhere close to somebody, it's a hardship. And so Paul said, in ministry, man, look, I had to endure some hardships, and calamities. I mean, this list get tougher. There's some serious problems. When you hear something that man, it was calamity, <clears throat> that means it was serious, a lot of destruction. So he said, now look, we patiently endure troubles and hardship and calamities of every kind. Now look, he goes on to identify some things. Those of you who was here when we studied the whole book of Acts and Romans and other, other books, you could go back in your mind may flash back to some of those books that we studied where he talked about these things in those books. But now he's kind of summarized that. He said, now look, we have been beaten. Some places he said, say, you know, one of the books he said he was beaten five times by the Jews. All because of the gospel. Now, I don't think no one in here has ever been beaten because of the gospel. No. He said, now look, been put in prison. Well, you remember in Philippi. When they preaching, him and, you know, Paul and Silas, they end up in jail in Philippi. Lord had to move at midnight while they were praying and singing hymns. And we faced angry mobs. You know, violent people were trying to take us out, man. Almost in every town he went in, somebody was trying to take him out. Now, the point he's trying to make to us here is how many of us would go through all that for the cause of the gospel? <laughs> you know, I, I, see, like I say, we got it made here in America because like I said, we got a right to worship. And, 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 and unless someone is just crazy, they don't normally persecute us. You can go out there and get a sign and say you love Jesus and walk up and down the street and nobody will mess with you because you got that freedom. That's why people can stand on street corner bus stop Talking about Jesus, we got freedom of religion, but here he said, "Look, man, we faced angry mobs. We worked to exhaustion. That means that, look, in some parts, if you've been studying Paul's life, if you remember, uh, I think it was in Acts 13 or somewhere around there, where he said that him and he was friends with Priscilla and Aquila, and he worked with them as a tent maker. So, at certain times in Paul's ministry, he would be considered what we would say, bivocational. He ministered in the evening, but he made tents in the daytime. So he said, now look, we work too exhausted. I mean, man, making them tents all day, and then I got to come and teach major for two hours at night, this word. It's rough. It's rough. I don't think too many of us are working too exhausted now. You know, we ain't, nobody. We ain't getting exhausted with, because of this gospel. But he said, look, we work to exhaust him. Endure sleepless nights. Now, early on, back in the day, when we first started striving, yeah, I mean, I can identify with that. That was some sleepless nights. You know, you having church in a rec center, not knowing who's going to be there next week, hoping everything's going to go right, trying to get everything organized, thanking people. But then after time, you, you just understand, this is what I understood. Sleepless nights came because as a pastor, you never want to see somebody leave the church because you love everybody, you want to keep everybody. So sleep nights come when folks start leaving. But I learned, I don't care how good you are, where you pastor, some folks just gonna leave. It's just, it just the way it is. And so as a result of that, you got to get to the point where, hey, man, you ain't having these sleepless nights. You just got to realize you got to work your way through those things. Because ministry comes with challenges. Especially those who are ministers here, it comes with challenges. And sometimes those challenges impact family. Now, you don't want to ne- neglect your family, but sometimes you may get an assignment that their family ain't ready to roll with. You do not accept the assignment to speak somewhere and they say, well, hey, we ain't rolling with you this evening you going to call it a decline? Yeah. I mean, well, Jesus, I can't go because they don't want to go. No, man, you can't. So the times that we preach here now, man, we don't have it like Paul. I mean, a lot of us were the it. Being a minister now in a lot of areas, it's kind of like it's a professional job now, so it's, it has a lot of good things to go along with it. So because people have staff and all this other stuff, they don't have to go through what he went through. But man, being a minister or serving God's people in that capacity, man, it is not easy. And sleep is nice and come. I know sometimes for me when I go back and listen to and critique my sermons and I catch a mistake in them, man, I, that thing mess with me all night. God, I said that. And, you, and, and you're and saying, you hear some say, well, they ain't going to remember it no way, but man, you, but it was wrong. You said you said that, and you go back and critique, say, man, you weren't supposed to say that. It wasn't nothing that was going to mislead anybody, but it wasn't something you were supposed to say right there. And so as a result of that, man, that could be sleepless nights. Because you want to do things right for the Lord, man. When you stand up and represent him, you want to give him your best. But sometimes it comes with, consequence it come with a cost and so paul is letting us know that he went through a lot of things sleepless night and gone without food sometimes he was fasting, but sometimes he just didn't have that's why he said i've been up and i've been down i've been a, i have abounded and i have been abased but whatever circumstance i find myself in i've always learned to be con- be content so he, he experienced both ends of this coin. You know, I was out there when I had it going on. Everybody was taking care of me. Then I was over here where I had to work two jobs. But that didn't deter him from doing what he had to do. Now, how did that work for us here at church? A lot of you all are volunteers. Y'all don't get paid to do a lot of the things you do in striving. But you say you committed yourself to doing those things. And so you do those things after you got off your real job. And you come here. To serve the Lord. You don't work your job five days a week and then on Sunday you decide, Major, I'm going to be an usher. I'm going to be a photographer. I'm going to teach the kids. You you take on another job as a volunteer. And now when you do that, God has an expectation of you Because you represent, he, he, he. Look what Paul said, man. Look, he expects us to serve him as serious as we do any other job that we got. And if we can't live up to that then that's why we shouldn't take the things that we do for god half-heartedly paul was trying to let us know man i was committed to god and i did this thing wholeheartedly and i was ready for the consequence that come for me being committed to what god has called me to do don't mean i'm gonna neglect anything and maybe most people say well paul could do all that because he was single he believe he didn't have no no family to worry about he didn't have a wife to go home to he didn't have all that other stuff no distraction you know, so all he had to do was focus on the Lord. Well, I think that if you announce a call, God know you married. You know yourself, you got married. I mean, he, he ordained married. So I believe we can do, you can be married and do both. But, but you got to understand that sometimes doing what God called you to do will require sacrifice. So he said we endure a sleepless night and go on without food. Well, I can honestly say in the 27 years I've been doing this. I ain't never went out without food. Unless it was by choice. So that, that ain't my testimony. I ain't never went hungry because of striving. That's one thing we got plenty of right here food. <laughs> if we ain't got nothing else right here, we keep plenty of food this year. That's one thing. So what we got to understand in, in Paul's picture he's painting here is that there were certain things he went through and he wanted these people to know that so that when those false prophets came along or those people who were accusing him of not being a sincere apostle, he said, man, I done went through all these things for the gospel. And I guarantee you the people who are accusing me haven't gone through any of this. All they're doing is coming behind me and saying I'm doing this wrong, doing that wrong and criticizing, but they ain't taught you nothing. They weren't here when we started the ministry. They weren't here when all the work was being put in. All they're doing now is coming and tearing down where we will step, all because they don't agree with what he was teaching. And so he says, Now look, verse uh, six, he said, We prove ourselves by our purity. In other words, you know, uh, 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 we want to try to live and, 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 and not get contaminated by the world that we live in. We're in the world, not of the world, but if we're not careful, it's either to get contaminated. So, the challenge come is because Jesus gave us an example where he went out into the world and hung out with publicans and sinners, and, and okay, tax collectors, but at the same time, he could do that without being contaminated. And so God didn't call us to separate us to the point where we isolate ourselves. Yes, we still have to mingle and go out into the world. But we gotta be able to do that without being contaminated, without being, you know, allowing ourselves to be contaminated by the the situation that we're in. And so the thing is, is that that's why it's such a a challenge for a lot of people when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to going out, because in order to effectively go out and witness, you can't do that in the church. You got to go out into the highways, in the byways, in the head. You got to go where the sinners are. And so sometimes that takes us back. So that's why I tell people, if the Lord send you to witness to some place, and that's a place that you have not totally been delivered from, you don't need to go there. If you feel like it's going to take you back to a place that God has brought you from, when it comes to witnessing. witnesses. But if you know that God has delivered you, and he placed on your heart to go and minister to someone, and you got to go into their territory, then you got to be believe that you are well equipped to go there to represent the Lord. But it's not it's not an either thing. So he says now we prove ourselves by our purity, by our understanding. In other words, if you're going to minister to someone, you've got to have an understanding of what you're talking about. Amen. You, you, you can't talk to people about the gospel and you don't understand the gospel you got to have an understanding in your heart and in your mind who Jesus is to you and what he represents in your life and how your relationship with him works. Because once you can get in that comfort zone, you don't have to know the whole Bible. You really don't. You don't really have to. And on Sunday, we're going to talk about it because last week, that was a very powerful. Paul said, look, man, we got this ministry called reconciliation. And, and right there, all you got to do is tell folks, hey, look here. I ain't coming here to do nothing but tell you one thing, God ain't mad at you no more. That's it. He ain't mad at you no more. And that, to you that ought to be good news. And so all of us have been given that ministry where we can share that with others in order to try to win them to the Lord. Then that, that's what Bible said it's for, that's what study is for, is all that once they get here. Because when we overpower people with the word, we drive some of them away because they don't understand some of the things we're saying. They got to be taught to them. And I remember back in my day when I was uh, uh, first coming to church, we, we had these guys. They were serious now. I call them Bible thumpers. That means they hem you up in the elevator. And once they got you in the elevator, you ain't getting out until they get through talking to you about something. They're going to have a Bible in their hand. And when I see them, saw them coming, I used to run from them. Because their approach was right at my hard, man. And I didn't want to hear that right now. Because I didn't understand. I couldn't defend yea or nay with it. But I, I became, I saw it as offensive to me. Even though they thought that they was doing God. Now it may have worked on some people. But it didn't work on me. Now that, that approach may work for some people. They need to be chased down with a Bible. And be beat over the head with it. But at the same time, people need to be taught. They need to be taught for the word say. And so I, I believe that when it comes to uh, trying to reach people where they are, I think that's why Jesus could identify with people where they were and had no problem going amongst them. And the parables that he talked and, 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 and represented had no problem talking about going out in the highways and byways and the hedges and looking for those who are who are lost. But everybody's not cut out for that, even though everybody should. But at the same time, we got to realize that that the world is watching us and so therefore Paul is saying, hey look, we have understanding. Then you ought to, he says, now we prove ourselves by our purity, by our understanding, by our patience. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you're dealing with folk, you just got to put on patience. I mean, you, you, you can't be impatient with people when it comes to them making a decision for the Lord. You can't get impatient and think that everybody's going to receive what you got the first time. And he says now we have to make sure that we are patient as we are ministering. And then by our kindness well he said, now look when you go out there and talk to folk you got to be kind to them. I mean you you (laughs) I mean you can't if you're the doctor and you got what they need You can't put salt in the womb. You got to bandage them up. And so sometimes our approach when we're out there, Paul said, look, man, we came to you guys in kindness and by the Holy Spirit within us, man, which means that it's going to be hard to do what God has called you to do if you're not empowered by the Spirit of God. You, you, You need that charge. You need that energy that the Holy Spirit can bring in your life and bringing you to keep you locked in on what God's calling you to do. And a lot of times people haul off and do things on just their natural talents and abilities, but then when things get tough, they ain't got nothing on the inside to sustain them. Natural talent and abilities, smarts will take us so far, but sooner or later, people don't care how smart you are when it comes to the Bible, to this word. They're they they going to look and say, hey, are you in this thing for the long haul? Can you endure hardship like a good soldier? And so it takes the power of the Holy Spirit when it comes to trying to do what God is calling you to do because if you don't have that power, man, a lot of days you just want to quit. Just want to quit. But he he said, look, we got the power, God's power working in us. And look here. He didn't list all the weapons, but he just used righteousness as a weapon that can both be offensive and defensive. He says, we use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. So when I looked at that, he used weapons of righteousness. Then I take that back to Ephesians uh, where he talked about putting on the whole armor. He just talked righteousness here. The breastplate of righteousness what it's called. But because he got that word weapons of righteousness to mean that there could be other weapons out there. And when you study his writing, you will find out that he identified other weapons. The word of God is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. Faith is a weapon. And so, so he said now, and what we do, we use those weapons to both attack righteousness and to defend you got to have the weapons of the word to defend the gospel. you got to be able to defend the hope that you believe in. And if, if you don't understand something, you can't defend it. But at the same time, you can use the word of God as a weapon to, to, to prove your case. The word of God. It's a sword. You know, the word of God. You can use it as a weapon. Now, a lot of times we want to use the word of God in a way that's going to draw people but every now and then you've got to defend this gospel and cut some stuff. So, so and that's where the wisdom come in at when we know what to use, which weapon to use, when to use it and how to use it so that we can serve God and then continually try to draw others to God. But at the same time when it's time to put up a fight for the gospel you've got to defend the hope that you believe in. You got to strive against those that come against the gospel. So now look at this. We serve, now look what he says here. We serve God. We can stop right there. We serve God. So now, get this. When he said we serve God, then as long as I serve God, it don't make no difference what comes against me. I'm not focusing on the opposition. I'm focusing on who I serve. And because I focus on who I serve when opposition comes, I'm expecting that anyway. So now look at it. You got to get this, because this is a powerful point he makes. He says, we serve God, whether people honor us or despise us. I'm serving God. Whether someone said that was a nice sermon or not, or someone said I hated that sermon, you okay? I'm serving God. Whether you like it or not, whether you honor me or so, so, so as a as a pastor, I tell you, I don't need platitudes to serve God, because I'm gonna serve God. For somebody to say thank you, that was a great word, that was this, that nothing. Hey, look at I ain't doing it for that. I'm doing it because of Him. I need his things. I need his approval. So therefore, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us. The problem is most pastors and most preachers want to be loved by everybody. And so therefore, when you fight and be loved by everybody, you're never going to please everybody. And so therefore, when you're now, instead of serving God, you're trying to serve people. And he's saying, my focus is on God, whether you like me or not. Man, that's, 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 man, I mean, he, I mean, yeah. Then he says, whether you slander us or praise us, I'm going to still serve God. Then he says, we are honest, but they call us impostors. In other words, we're trying to preach the truth of the gospel to you, but there are others out there who say all we're doing is pretending to be something that we are not in order to deceive you. And so when people start saying those things, and you got to know, hey, it just comes with the territory sometimes. He says, now look at this, we are ignored even though we're well-known. Those things sound paradoxical to me. I mean, you know, wait. They ignore me, but then I'm well-known. They ignore, but well-known. Some people gonna ignore the gospel, but just because they ignore it don't mean that you're not well-known. Meaning that Major there will be some people who will listen to you and you are well known in their circles, but guess what? They may ignore everything you say. So he says it don't matter to me. He says, We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are not, but we're still alive. We have been beaten but we have not been killed. you got to go back and read the previous one where he talked about what he went through, so he's kind of recapping some of those things that he was going through for the cause of the gospel. Then he says, our heart, hearts ache, but we always have joy. His heart ached because the people that he was ministering to and the people that he was trying to help, some of those very people were turned against him, were not paying attention to nothing he said. And so he said, look, man, here's this church. We started this ministry here in Corinth, and we got all these Corinthians here, and now I'm finding out some of the same people that we started this thing with, man, guess what? They hating on me. And so, but he said, no, look, so my heart hurts, aches, but we still have joy. So my joy is not contingent upon my, how I feel about other folks. Joy is something that you got to have deep down on the inside of you and you got to realize that you can't give up your joy. You may not be happy with folks all the time, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you, you got to hold on to the, to the joy even in the midst of trouble time. Even when your heart is hurting, you got to still try to find some joy. Out. I mean, I know he said this, Major, and it's, this can't be easy. But we always have joy. We are poor. Now, most of us today could not handle poor. We don't, Some of us have been poor, and I don't think nobody want to go back to poor. So when Paul said poor here, he meant that he went without some things sometimes. But we give spiritual riches to others. So when it comes to material things, He was saying, hey, I may not have all the material things that people have, but I got spiritual riches that can bless them even when their material things fade away. Because everything that we see here, we can't take with us and it's going to fade away. But the spiritual things that I got for them, they're going to be rich forever if they just buy into this. And sometimes we got to understand, God don't have a problem with us being blessed with natural and things, resources, but at the same time, we can't fall in love with the blessing. You you can't let that become your God. You got to keep those things in perspective because look here, you want to be spiritually rich versus being materially rich and then you don't have a relationship with God. Because then what happens is what we have become our God. So he said we are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have... Man, that, that, those, that, that verse 9 and 10, just, just so paradoxical, just don't make no sense. I, I read this over and over and over, and yeah, I couldn't even wrap my mind around a good example of how to make this make sense to even me. We own nothing, yet we have... And so the only way I could connect with this, he got to be talking from a spiritual point of view. Got to be. And so, therefore, that's why we shouldn't fix our eyes on things here on earth. We ought to be fixing our eyes on things above. Yes, we need the things here on earth, but look here. Don't fix your eyes on things that you can't take with you. Use them for your advantage while you're here on earth and to glorify God, but at the same time, don't let those things become your God. Now, look at this. He says in verse 11, Oh dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. Look here. Then he said in verse 11, There is no lack of love on our part. Man, we love you. We love you. We love you. No lack of love made on our part. They ain't believe it. Because look what he said. But you have withheld your love from us. You know just imagine those of you got kids, and you'd have been working three jobs to take care of your kids, and you'd have tried to give them everything, you'd have shown love and love and love, and then all of a sudden, they show you no appreciation for her, no love back. They don't even say, Dad, thank you. I realize you're working hard. I appreciate everything you're doing for me. They don't say nothing. And Paul said, man, look here. Man, I just want a little love back. You just want the kids to come and say, Dad, I really appreciate you for buying that for me, getting that for me. Let me do that. Most times kids, don't, they don't get that message early. And if you find one that do do it, man, you better hold on to that little rascal because you got something special right there because most of them don't know how to tell you. Thank you. Major, go ahead. It,
1: it was just like, uh, they remember when uh, Paul said, I was going to come, but if I'd have came, you know, I didn't tell you something. It's just, like, it's just like you said. It's just like with our children. We chastise them because we love them. And that's, that's, that's similar to what Paul was saying. He was like, hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't, want, I didn't come back because if i came back and saw what y'all was still doing, it was going to be a problem. So I didn't come. Amen. And it's the same thing with our, with our kids. We, we chastise you, but we love you. But our kids don't understand that.
0: Amen. Amen. So he said, now look, there is no lack of love on our part. But you have withheld your love from us. And now when it comes to Corinthian church, man, Paul shouldn't have suffered for nothing with this church. Because when you go back to the beginning, 1 Corinthians, now we're in 2 Corinthians, this was a well-off church. I mean, they had, this was a, you know, a high-class church. They, they had to build to meet all his needs and they could help other churches. He even had to get on them to keep their promise when they said they were going to help the church in Jerusalem. And so what he was saying is that, man, we pour out love and, you know, and he was thinking like, whatever I'm pouring out, look looks like they ought to at least come back. But what happens is when they're hanging around people who are poisoning everything he's saying, then therefore they believe what other folks are saying and they miss what he's doing and give no, uh, give no credit to the things that he's doing in their lives. He said, man, we didn't withhold no love from you, but you have withheld your love. From us. Now look at this. He says, I am asking you to respond as if, as if you were my very own children. Open your hearts to us. Maybe this almost like say, man, I done put you through college, man. <laughs> yeah, I not put you through college. I sacrificed while you went to college. You know, I went without while you went to college. Now you're making six figures. You ought to at least. You see your dad need a little something-something. You ought to at least, at least, at least show him some love. Show him some love. Some of y'all don't eat, tr- you know, most of us older now, our parents may be doing already, but some of the young folks, don't need to have no Father's They man, that father catch it rough. Amen. Mother's got a good advantage because most people going to look out for mom. But man, most, most, People don't put no thought into Father's Day for the most time. They just assume you need a wallet or some size. <laughs> get you a tie. <laughs> don't put no thought into it. I wonder what do dad really need, what he really want. You don't get much love. And so Paul was saying, look, man, even though he was a teacher of the gospel, he wanted them to show a little bit of love back to him. And he realized now, that's why he kind of shifted when he says, you know, open your hearts to us. Because now he goes into the reason why they were the way they were. They were. It was not that they were all bad people, it's just that they was hooked up with the wrong folk. So now he's he shifting people say, Man, this is a drastic shift. When he go from verse 13 to 14, then now he start using language that, you know, that really, boy, it's just some tough language right here to make some points here. You know, and, 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 and what you got to do is understand what he's trying to get them to see about their relationship with God and, and how that relationship can be impacted by associations. You can't associate and be tight with everybody. Now he ain't saying you can't have friends, you can't do that. But he said, look here, there are some people that you can't be in partnership with. Close fellowship with. Close communion with. Because you're in those type relationships, then they're going to influence how you act toward God. And so now, when this part, we don't like this as the church because now it look like, oh man, he's trying to get me to not have no friends. No, he ain't trying to say that. He's just trying to say, hey, you can't yoke up with anybody. Well, let me read this. He don't use yoke in the new, this New Living Translation. He said, "Now look, verse fourteen. Don't team up." Somebody say team up. You know, he used animals to make this point. You know, an ox and an ass. That's what the Bible said in Deuteronomy. You can't put an ox and an ass together and think you're going to be able to plow. They're different in their natures. And because their natures are so different, they don't work well. Your nature is different from someone who don't know the Lord. And so, therefore, if they have no spiritual nature on the inside of them, and you do, when you yoke up with them, it ain't gonna work. And so that's why I'm trying to tell you you can't just yoke up with anybody. Be tight relationship and stuff like that. He ain't talking me, you got to go to work with some fools. Amen. You just got to go to work. But you ain't got to yoke up with the people you work with. Amen. Especially if they are not trying to live for what you live for. Because if they have more influence over you than the word of God, then chances are you're going to follow their leading instead of the words. So some people take this and go to an extreme. He's not telling us to separate ourselves from everybody, but he said, man, you got to be careful who you yoked up to. Look at this. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with that just don't work? By nature, they're different. If you turn the lights off in here, dog, is going to rain. But if you turn the lights back on, dog, is going to leave. You won't get them two mixed up to, together. Now, I know this passage, even though he's using this about these false teachers and stuff like that, but people have taken this passage all the way through our relationship and even into marriage relationships. Saying if you're about to get married to someone, you know, if you're already married, it's too late. You're yoked. You should have thought about that before you got married. This is not, you can't use this scripture to unyoke if you're married. (laughs) You can't use, you're supposed to know this scripture right here before you get married. Amen. Because you're supposed to know who you're married and if you're yoking up to somebody who by nature is totally different from you and you're going to figure them out once you marry them, you're in for a rough ride. You got an ass and just don't know it. You're (laughs) You're an oxen. You ain't got no business. (laughs) Oh, they look good. Well, okay. What they believe. Because their belief system is going to have an impact on you. So if you're already married, you just got to pray God to give you the grace to deal with whoever you're married to. But if you're not married, you shouldn't go into that relationship blindly and thinking that you're going to change that donkey an oxen. You got to let, let the Lord work on them first. You need to have some evidence that they're going to change before you say, well, I'm going to go ahead and get married anyway. No. Mm-mm. You need to wait till you see a little bit of evidence that we got something in in common. Okay, now, look what he said. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness and how can light live in with darkness? Now look at this. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now that word harmony in there, when you look that up and you find out we, some of those words there, even though in, in the New Living Translation they don't use the same word, but in the King James Translation, some of those words come from where, the word, where we get the word symphony from. And whenever you think of a symphony, any of you have been to an orchestra and you've seen them when they play, they have one conductor and they're all supposed to be playing off the same sheet of music. And he's saying, you can put one person up there that can mess up the whole sound, that can mess up the harmony, that can mess up what God is trying to do. And he's saying, now when it comes to you being connected to somebody, you can't be connected to somebody that you're not in symphony with. They playing one note, you playing another note. And the music going to sound lousy. And that's why it's important for, you know, I tell young couples, man, you know, in God we trust everybody else you check out thoroughly. (laughs) Everybody else you check out thoroughly. If he love you, he shouldn't mind you doing a background check on him. She shouldn't mind. <laughs> I don't need no. Yes, you do. When you, when you say equally about what do you believe. Here he's talking about these being belief, uh, yoked with somebody who do not share the same yeah, that's unbelievers. unbelievers. That's right, unbelievers versus bel- believers. So and so therefore when you're dealing with that, those two belief systems are gonna clash. Because people are going to act out what they believe. And so he's saying now, if when it comes to relationships like that, especially in the church, you got to be careful how you get bound up with people. He's not telling them, don't go into the world, don't go minister, don't go to God. He's not saying separate yourself from the world. He just said, look, I can't yoke up with them. I can go to the football game, the basketball game, but I can't yoke up with the crowd and do everything the crowd may be doing. Because if not, if I don't understand that, then the crowd could have an influence on me, and if that crowd is going to influence me more than the word of God is going to influence me, then it's going to pull me away, and that's what these folks were going through. They were being pulled away from everything they had been taught. And it was frustrating him, and so that's why he was telling them, hey man, you can't match these things whose natures are different together and think you're going to get a good result. Brother Fred, go ahead. In other
3: words, if you're just coming out of darkness, you don't want to hook up with somebody that's still in darkness. Because more than likely, you, you, you're more likely to fade back to that darkness if you're not careful. Because you're, your flesh still, still crave that
1: part of that darkness. But But that can mean... That doesn't necessarily mean people. That could mean things too, right?
0: Well, Music, I mean,
1: movies. No, no, I'm serious. I mean, <laughs> not only people, but but if you if you were delivered from
0: that, or you know, you you had your mind. Well, you know, I, I'm not so, so far uh, hardcore on I, not on, on hardcore, a movie but, on some things like. But some things, but I mean. That just doesn't
1: mean, it, it means any influence. So if you were delivered from certain things, then why would you go back or still do the same things that you were influenced by when you were in the world? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not, not necessarily just people. I mean, it could be some things that you were involved in.
0: Amen, amen. And, and, and I'm glad to use movies as an example. You know, I know some pastors that have been taught, taught that members, hey, you know, once you get saved, you need to be careful. You shouldn't be going to no know R-rated movies. You shouldn't be doing nothing. that. But, but, you know, R-rated now, is on regular TV. You ain't even got to go to the movie. You can catch some R-rated stuff on the regular TV. But, but there are certain things. i never forget the last time I went to the movie uh, some years ago. I haven't been since that time. But a movie that I went to with me and Lady Jeanette. And I wanted to walk out that movie, man, because that thing turned me off so bad. I went to see, what's his name, Django Unchained or whatever that was man that movie man that that thing i, I labored oh god i don't want to be here i don't want to be in this movie right here but because i don't pay you know 25 to take out you know right out but afterward, man my spirit was vexed said man god i can't believe i sit through that whole movie I, you know i, I normally i should have walked out but because i had the investment and i sit there and say okay i'll be all right he ain't gonna make me start cursing again he Ain't gonna make me start using the n-word and all that stuff like that but it just vexed my spirit because it was such a long time since I went to a movie that had that much violence and profanity and everything else in it. It's been a long time. But, but now, man, you catch all that on Netflix. You ain't, I mean, <laughs> so you got to know where you are in the Lord because, like Major's saying, there are certain things that you can't do because you know what your relationship is like with Lord and how strong you are and how things other people can do. Like I tell people, if you know you've been delivered from alcohol and just the smell of alcohol will make you want to go back to it, you don't need to witness at no bar. I remember uh, one of the brothers that was here and he, you know, he, he, he gave a testimony, his testimony about alcoholism and because he used to drink and all that. And, and he gave me a revelation. He said, man, you know, once you done been down that road and you done been drinking that long and been hooked on alcohol, he says, you can smell it in other people's pores. That when you go around them, you can just smell it and it make you want it, so you have to, he said, man, I have to be careful who even I go around because if I can sense that alcohol, I need to start backing up because something on the inside of me will make me want to go back and have another drink. So we, everybody gotta, you kinda gotta know yourself and you gotta be led by the Spirit and know that, hey, you know, we can't get ourselves in situations where we are not in harmony with, with, with the Lord. Because he said, now, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And how can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Now, some people take that all the way to business. Before you enter into a business agreement with somebody, you ought to check the person out that you're going to go into business with. Now, we don't do that all the time, but some people take it to that extreme when it comes to being a partner. When you are partnering with someone and putting your name on a contract as a team, LLC or whatever, you need to know something about the people you're been to partner with. Get a mic, tell me about it.
2: You have godly principles, yet you're dealing with somebody who's a crook and a thief, and they don't mind messing with the taxes, and they're dealing underhanded, and because your signature is on there, they come at you because you're the one who is honest. You're upfront, and they're trying to get it out of you instead of them, and you're dealing with a crook. And you have to know these things about how a person's mentality is because Your signature on there, you legally bound.
0: Amen. Amen. So, so, so partnerships are serious. And we ought to think, you know, sit down and count the cost before we enter into any kind of partnership. And Because he's using all these, these heavy, this heaven language that talks about how we connect to people beyond just a superficial connection. This ain't talking about a superficial relationship where you hire and buy people and you see them in passing. This is talking about people that you sit down, break bread with, spend time with, fellowship with. Those are the level of relationship that he's talking about here. And if that is always with non-believers, there's a good possibility you're going to pick up some of their habits and their traits. Well, you probably used to do some of those things. You know, uh, I was told a long time ago, and I used to use this, and I don't know if it's still true. I used to tell people, show me your seven best friends, the people you hang out with, the seven people you hang out with the most, and I can show you you. If you just show me the people that you're friends with, I can get a good idea of what you're like based upon the people that you hang with. Because we have a tendency to be like the people that we hang with the most. Because we have something in common. We have a bond. They're doing something I like doing. So we got some commonality there. And that's all he's saying to, hey, you got to be careful when you enter into a relationship that deep that you understand what you're getting yourself into. Then he says, come back another one of those words in verse 16. And what union, so he didn't use harmony, partner, union, fellowship, and all those words there that talk about serious relationship. So what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk among them I will be their God and they shall be my people. Old Testament quote there. But the point he's trying to make it that we have God's spirit on the inside of us. So God is in us. And he wants to be with us. And because of that, we got to make sure that we don't allow anything to come and drown out that spirit. For we're in fellowship in a, in a, in a, with, 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 with people Or like may say, things that can cause us to be so distracted that we forget who we are in the Lord. So he says, look, I will be their God and they will be my people. Then he said, therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not, don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. Now, again, some people take that scripture to the extreme. They take that to mean that Paul is saying, hey, look, we should have no fellowship with non-believers at all. And so therefore, therefore, that's why you see some Christians live in isolation. They isolate themselves from around people as much as possible so that they don't have to interact because they don't want to feel like I'm going to get the filth of the world on me by being out there amongst the world. Now, if that's what people believe and how they interpret that scripture, that's fine. But, but I don't think that's what God wanted us to do because that's the case, Paul couldn't have been there with them. So, so, so he was dealing with unbelievers when he was out there ministering. So obviously, I don't think he meant it for us to literally get saved and then go live in a convent somewhere and never have any interaction with the outside world. But he do expect us to live amongst the world in a way that brings glory and honor to him. So he says, in the last verse, he says, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So, what that is letting us know, God is in a relationship with us. And he sees us as sons and daughters. And, and how many, everybody here got kids? Everybody got, most, got, most of y'all got kids? If you got kids, um, just by virtue of you're the parent, you have some expectation for your kids. Just by, by virtue of the fact that you're the parent, you have an expectation. Now, and it's up to you to make sure your children know what your expectations are. And as you explain those expectations to them and train them and teach them, then you have an expectation that they're going to at least do some of the things that you've been training them. And so it's no different with God. When we come to Bible study and we meditate on God's word, we hear the word preached to us and we hear the word taught to us and all those things where the word is coming in our life on a continuous basis and we're supposed to be growing, God got an expectation. He expects us to try our best to live in a way that's going to glorify him. Realizing that, yeah, we do stumble, we do fall, he understands that, but there's a difference between making a mistake and when we just practice something that God done delivered us from. and so. That's, what, that's the challenge that we have as believers, because we have to realize that it's easy to find ourselves in a position where we are unequally yoked to someone because we normally don't check out people's ideology, what they believe. We look at outer appearance a lot of times first before we find out, hey, what's inside this person's head? You know, what, where their mind is at, what, what, what they thinking, how they function, you know, in, in their everyday life. And that's why, you know, when I talk to people in the marriage, man, I, there's a little book we used to give out that, man, they got a whole questionnaire in there before you get married with somebody, man. You need to ask them everything you need. What's your, what's your family health history like? Hey, man, you can love them, but you need to know if, hey, unless you're going to do something different than grandmama and granddaddy, and they both had these issues, you may have these issues too. That ain't, that ain't her beard. That is your beard. You finna this person. You marry this first. You won't marry I mean, if you, if you really love her, is that a bad question to ask? What's your family health history look like? What's your finances look like? Do you, do you know how to manage money? Are you in debt? Or are you out of debt? Are you just barely getting by? I mean, I, you need to know. I love you, but it ain't wrong to ask you that. Because we become one, I may end up picking up some of that debt.
1: Amen. Most people got married probably bef- when they were young and before they were saved, and they wasn't thinking about that. I, I, now, now I get. It. I mean, I get it now. But it's like you said, once you, once you stuck, you stuck. <laughs> I mean, I, now maybe stuck is a bad word. Yeah. But <laughs>
0: yeah listen to the, the, the doctor over there when it comes to marriage now doctor. I don't mean stuff but you know what I mean because,
1: because most of us got married when we were young and flesh led our lives but once we got married I mean
0: so it was a physical attraction more so than sit down let's find out what am I really because like. I don't understand that two is is to become one and so therefore, this oneness, this, this two become one. That means I need to know a whole lot about her. She need to know a whole lot about me. So that when we have those issues, like some people get married to folk and don't tell them they got kids. And ain't nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, they done did it now. You know, you can do about them. But man, don't marry somebody and you know you're going to have baby mama drama. I mean, it's okay. But you ought to at least know that going in. Don't already be married and be yoked. And then now find out that, hey, that dude got three kids. Now all of a sudden you want out. God said, no. You yoke now. You just got to figure out how you're going to deal with that because those are the questions that you should have asked up front. And if a person loves you, they should mind you asking those questions. That's stuff you want to know because we're about to become one Forever. For a younger crowd, (laughs) that's (laughs) what (laughs) they did. Because
1: it's like you said, once you're married, I mean, you're not gonna, you can't say, well,
0: you know, I didn't know that, you know, you don't like to clean up. I didn't know you had all these debt. Because you weren't really thinking about it when you got married. Get the mic. So, Major said, hey, look, I didn't know I married someone who don't like to keep house. But but now, back in our day, it was kind of understood. But today, Women don't come into a marriage think they got to keep no house because they may think that, hey, this is a joint responsibility. Right. I, work like you work. I work like you work, make money like you work, so we need to sit down and have an agreement. Who is going to clean the house? Who going to wash the dishes? Because you coming in thinking because she's the woman, she's going to just do the dishes. That, that dog don't hunt every day now. Now, it worked back in the 50s and the 60s, but today, have you seen some of these women nails? Man, they ain't, they ain't finna go in there and put them nails in no hot water about washing those dishes, dog. No. I mean, you better wake up. You better wake up. Ain't no way. I mean, it just ain't going to happen. I mean, have you, but have you seen some nails? I mean, just, just think about it. You disagree and you can have long nails and still wash dishes? Just put them in the dishwasher, huh? Old school. old school there. Okay, tell me what you disagree. Go ahead and talk. Get the mic. We got a couple of minutes before we close out. I don't know how we got on the marriage, but since we're talking about being uh, yoked is a new, good subject. The new
1: millennium women, I mean, they probably won't, but I'm from the old school era, so I know what to do. I know my responsibilities, so I don't.
0: So I you, you don't have no problem if you marry some guy and he think you're supposed to cook, clean, I he take no, care of the yard? I have
1: no issues, no problem.
0: Okay, I, I got it. So, so that, that is my era. Hey, everything outside the house, I got. Everything inside the house, you take care. Right. But after a while, I learned that, hey, you know, I'm gonna have to wash some dishes sometime if you don't like it. I didn't do a whole lot of cooking, but I knew how to cook. My mom taught me that. So I, I didn't come into America not knowing how to cook. So mom taught me that. So every now and then I could cook. But in my era, generation, I never saw my dad cook for my mama like that. Unless it was barbecuing on a special day, because it was mom's job to make sure when he came home, there was food on the table. And that's, all, that's the model that I saw. So seeing that model all my life, I'm thinking that whenever I get married, that's the same model that got to work for me. And it did. But now, it don't work like that all the way around. I did. Maybe some marriages do work like that, but nowadays, there's negotiation. You do this, I'm going to do this. I like doing this, you like doing that. And you may marry a guy who loves cooking. So if, he, if that's his strong suit, let him cook. If that's what he likes doing. But a lot of ladies now, they, they don't even know how to cook. Brother the go ahead.
2: Testing. I understand what the uh, special relationship was talking about later on in life, if you are married with someone, but being an equal yoke. One of the things that I have learned, um, I think I'm this once before, and pretty much it says, you have to instead of falling in love the things that you do you can, you, if you fall in love you can fall in love so it don't last but one thing does last is will be this is that um, you you get the knowledge and you get the understanding and then you make the wisdom so what happened to me for me and miss Robin in the sense is that, we went to several, several uh, uh, marriage councils, not council, uh, conference. And every time I went to council, it built me, in a sense, and being our relationship, it gave me some tools to be able to understand what I did not know when we got together. So yes, and, and there's one comment um, for, uh, I would listen to, uh, everybody know Bodie Yes, uh, Yeah,
0: Bo- yeah, Bodie Buchanan? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: He said, one, one of the things he's doing right now, he says, I'm raising my son to be a husband. To be a husband. And I'm also raising my, my daughters to be wives. So my point is, is that once they were get in a relationship or a time poor, to get married because most likely you probably get married not too often people don't get married but most likely you get married he's already equipped with what as, as how to be a husband and also his daughters would know how to be wise amen and so um and, and again about being equal yoke i totally agree to a point where Uh, when you, especially when it says being a team, I mean, what's your assignment? If you're gonna be, when I say a team, I mean, we're gonna be like, say for football, we're gonna work together. And if you ain't the right person to be in the position and not, you're not gonna gonna do well as a team, if you understand what I'm saying. So you're you're not a believer. Amen. You're not gonna work with this team if you understand what I'm saying. And if you're working with God, I like can say as like you say, you are a worker partner. Just says, mm-hmm. what that means? You're partnered with God. And if other person's not partnering with God, then it obviously it's not going to work. So that's just obviously what Paul is trying to say. But I understand what Paul is doing, exhorting for for the Corinthians to understand how to walk this walk.
0: Amen. And, and and you know that's why you know i tell people i don't know how we got so deep in the marriage part of this but you know marriage is a partnership i mean you kind of got to understand you know all marriages not the same not cookie cutters and like i say i think our generation we've just brought i think we had some bad examples i mean we just had some bad examples because you know i didn't have a at the time when my observing my mom and dad relationship my dad wasn't no church guy so i know he wasn't practicing on biblical principles in the relationship he was pregnant, hey, I'm the man, you're the woman, I run the house, you do what I say. Just that simple. So mom was more like a servant than a wife, and so that's what I saw. I didn't see my dad, and I used to ask my mom. He, she knew, hey, I'm hungry, that meant she had to get up no matter what she was doing. Now, today, I don't think a man with that mindset, you know, young with that mindset, young women ain't going for that. I don't think they're going to wait on your hands and feet like that. Now, you may find one that would do that, but I don't think that generation of women still exists. And now that I'm older, I look back at that, my dad and them really messed it up. And they messed us up because that's the model that we had coming into relationship, so we thought that we can dominate women. And so back then, you know, it wasn't unusual to see a man hit his wife because that was how they thought that you communicate when they get out of line. It was that slave mentality. So I've seen my dad hit my mom like that. And, and as I got older, that used to trouble me, but that's just what I saw. And I thought, okay, that's what it was supposed to be. So when I got married, I came into the relationship with that same mindset. What I say, go, you don't do what I say. Hey, hey, it's gonna be on. But the thing that saved, that saved my relationship is Jeanette has seven brothers. <laughs> and they told me, you put your hand on my sister, we're gonna take you out, dog, just that simple. So we used to argue, but I knew I wasn't gonna do, get a beat down like my daddy did my mom, cause I just believed her brother was serious. But they shouldn't have been that way. But, but that's said, what I saw.
3: But, but it's like Major said, you know, when, when, we, were, when we were dating, we, we didn't care whether they could cook or not. We didn't, we didn't care about those qualifications. We didn't care if they didn't even know where the kitchen was. As long as they knew where the other room was, don't
0: worry about the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. Amen. <laughs> Get a mic, Major.
1: The man was provider. It's, it's no longer that way. I mean, two people, you know, husband and wife, they both go out and work. Sometimes, you know, the wife makes more money.
0: Yeah. That's the time we're living in now because, again, back then, my dad was educated. He finished high school and went to college a little bit, but my mom didn't graduate high school. So by virtue of the fact of the time we were born in, the only thing she could do was be a maid. And so dad had a job, so she was a maid. So she was a maid when she went to the white folks' house to take care of their kids and wash their clothes. And she was a maid when she came home. She had to do that for them, had to come home and do that for him and do that for us. And, and, and that was the role model that we saw. And so, you know, after she went back to school and got a job on the base, life changed. But still, my dad was of that generation. He was that guy. I mean, he's the, he the man in the house. This is going to be the way it is. And, I, you know, I'll never forget, man. One day I decided to challenge him because of the way he would treat my mom. And the dude almost killed me that day. But I just refused to see him treat my mom like that and not say something. And I mean, it was something simple. I share this testimony now, and I'm done. She just wanted to go to a football game with some of her friends. He didn't want to go. And so he told her, you ain't going. And she went in the room and started crying like a little baby. And I walked in there, and I say, Mom, I don't believe you're going to let this MF tell you what to do like that. My dad's eyes got this big, I knew I was a dead man. I knew I, I was dead. Hadn't been for my granddaddy, I would not be here today. But I just felt myself, I was about 14 years old, I was ready to take him on. But I would have lost that battle, I mean. But my granddad saved my life, he pulled him off of me before he could kill me. But, but what I'm trying to say is that, those are the type of things you, you grew up with and you think that that's the way it's supposed to be, when in reality there's a the model in the world that gives us a better way, but if you don't know that, you go by what you've been seeing. Yes, and so now we've got to hope that we're smarter now, we're more educated now, and people are knowing how to make this thing matter. And I recommend anybody, you're going to get married, get counseling. Don't be afraid of going to counseling, let somebody talk you through all these things, and don't get married on the fly. I mean, just take your time, learn the person, check them out thoroughly. Brother Herb, we've got to go. Go ahead.
2: Stand, my last like is to speed uh, for even for Signing up or joining this ministry, or you say you want to join this church, and in joining this church, we have, you know, we have a statement, a vision statement, we have a purpose for where we, you know, a vision where we're going. And so my point is that's this: in order for us to be able to uh, to join, you have to be equal yoke for for this mission. Mm-hmm. we we we're on a mission. If, if you understand what I'm saying, as a church, so we can't have no unbeliever to come and join and join in if it's unbelief, because he's not gonna follow in the direction with the path that God's given us for this mission. And, and, and as, as a team,
0: and therefore you know it's no different that whenever a person join a team, they have to be acclimated to the team. You know, and so therefore when the people join a ministry, they have to be acclimated to how the ministry functions, what the ministry does. It's no different if you join any organization. I mean, those of you who are in fraternal organization, when I, when I decided that I was going to, before I got out of it, but when I decided I was going to be a Mason, they didn't just let me haul off and walk in there. They told me what the requirements were, and then once I went through all the processes, they expected me to do those things that they taught me. And, I, and once I did those things that they taught me, I was in. I went through the whole process. They had an expectation. And so I don't think the church is no different. When you join the church, God has an expectation for us. And we try to live up to his expectation. And, uh, but the church is a place where sick people are supposed to come. And we got to get them well with the word and bring them in and minister them and then hope that they will look at good examples around them and try to be like those examples. Amen?